At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 729th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your local food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson with Urban Farm U, coming to you from the Asheville, North Carolina area, and I'm here with it depends. I mean, Janice. Hello, Janice. <laughs> Hi, Greg. Good to see you. The reason I said Hi. it depends is if you're listening to this on the podcast, she has a shirt on that says dot, 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 it depends. Yeah. So. This is the phrase that gets uttered a lot in our permaculture classes. When somebody asks a question, it's like, well, it depends. And then we have to go forward with the answer because it depends is the qualifier on almost every answer in in permaculture well anytime you're dealing with nature and building Mm. stuff absolutely yeah yeah exactly so what are we talking about tonight miss janice what is permaculture that was it depends is that like really out there exactly (laughs) uh, well i'll tell you what i've actually been studying permaculture for 32 years now so i have a little bit of background there And I'm still learning. You know what? The transition from Phoenix, Arizona. I lived in Phoenix, Arizona for 54 years. 54 years I lived in Phoenix. In fact, for the entirety of that 54 years, I lived within a five-mile radius of where I lived for the last 32 years. And one of the things... Go ahead. Sorry. You lived in Phoenix longer than I've been alive. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Well, there you go. One of the things that I have told people many, many times over the past two decades is Mm -hmm. spend at least a year on a property. I learned that. I learned that. I jumped in hard. I did too. I I learned it again when I arrived on a property that hadn't ever been permacultured and, you know, and moved 1900 miles from Phoenix to Asheville And it was a bit of a mind bend for me because things are so different. And and you think you've got permaculture down. You think you've got it because you've been spending so many years doing it. And it kind of threw some curveballs at you. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it made you go, oh, my God, I remember that principle. Oh, yes, that principle's in play. Right, exactly. We're going to talk about the principles in a little while. Yeah. So defining permaculture. I'll go ahead. I I think one of the best parts of what is permaculture is it boils down to the ethics. Care of people, care of planet, care of future, or care of earth. And if you are doing all three of those things, then 
you are doing something that's going to be good for going forward. You know, what you're, if you're taking care of those three elements all at the same time, which sometimes you can't, sometimes you've got one or two, mm-hmm. uh, but then you're moving forward into a way that's going to be making a difference. Right. Care of the people, care of the future, the planet, or care of the earth, depending on which book you read, and care of the future. Interesting. I always learned the final one, the third one, as share the surplus. I think it's the same. It is ish. It's just a different phrase. Yeah. Yeah. So the permaculture ethics, I learned them care of the earth, care of the inhabitants of the earth and share the surplus the principles there we go i was going to pull up the principles the first one is observation and really the first piece of everything you should do is observe pay attention spend at least a year on a property before you make any major changes look to see what there is to observe in your space. Like what is there to observe in your space, Janice? Well, you know, when I first started in my space, I had purchased a piece of property that had was basically a blank slate, mm-hmm. even more blank than possible because than it should have been because so much of it had been taken off to make it blank. So mm-hmm. I was losing, I was didn't realize how much my topsoil was gone until I really started getting into it. But when I look at it, I was had to look at the water, how it was flowing on and off my property, the wind, how the wind was moving the soil around and the dust, the sun to see where my cold zones were and my hot zones were. I mean, all these elements came into play that as I was making decisions, they were going to affect where certain elements of my property were going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so- like? Well, I had the goal of starting a food forest in my new property. Ah, very and good. I needed to know where was going to be the best place for the colder trees. I wanted my apple trees to go versus my mulberries and where I wanted my apricots to go versus my plums and my grapes. And, you know, just the layout of where I chose to put my plants changed when I considered things like where the sun was going where the sun danced across the sky and plans changed when I realized how poorly the water was going through my soil. So I had to make some new changes because of that in my plans. But observation was. Yeah, you you had an interesting water thing happen for you because one of your neighbor to the east is higher than you, right? And didn't you tell me that water flowed from their property their backyard into your backyard at some point so for those of you who are living in a part of the country where the ground elevation actually changes neighbor to neighbor and somebody's up a little downhill a downhill up whatever that's not how it is when you're in phoenix because it's pretty flat in most of the section it's like pancake flat but as you can see behind me this is a picture of the mountain that i live nearby and there was an actual elevation change from one property down to the next and you wouldn't expect it when you were looking at the properties trying to choose which property was going to be yours because when we walked this ground to decide which plot was going to be ours it seemed flat 
and it felt flat the entire time mm-hmm. until we finally walked in and we didn't know when they put the walls up that the other house would end up being a little bit higher than the next one because we couldn't see over the wall and then when the water came and the rains came it came right through the wall into our property and it was just a flood down one down one down one down the street actually it came and went into the next one until they started making some changes when you would think that that would be a problem well, from a neighborhood perspective, it could be a problem. From a permaculture perspective, that's like, bring it on, right? Mm-hmm. When I realized the extra water that I was getting, I immediately did what I could to keep the water from going that way. I did not going want the water going property. that way off my property. Yeah. So I filled it up with the wood chips and I kept all the water coming from that side. But to my east, where the water was coming onto my property, I did what I could to keep it there. And as it pr- traveled west and down slope on my property, the more it, wood chips I had, the more water stayed. And by the time it got to my neighbor on the, the west side of me, who had no nothing except bare ground even longer than I did, I didn't want any water going through the wall there. So it was good to see that the water stayed in my yard. So your observation was there was a water problem in your backyard Mm. because the soil was so dense it didn't sink in. In fact, I think at one point you had told me that the neighbor to your east had a pond in his backyard after a rain, right? And that never happened to you. And what what did you do to mitigate that? Well, our soil is high clay, which means very low porosity and the water moves through it very slowly. And when the water would come and sit on top of the soil and stay there for literally days, because it took so long to soak in, I very soon after moving in brought in uh, several cubic yards of wood chips, like maybe three different truckloads of it. Mm -hmm. And then just kept bringing it in, bringing it in. And I got to the point that it was about 10 inches deep at one point in in some sections. 10 inches deep? It was between six to 10 inches deep in my entire backyard. And that broke down fairly quickly by the time I started digging, but which was several months later. Mm -hmm. And that created a big sponge in my backyard. And so my water just soaked up in the wood and then it slowly went into the ground and it came out of the wood chips at a rate that the ground could absorb it. Oh, very good. Awesome. Yeah. So observation, it's the single most important thing to do. In fact, when you design your landscape, you want to observe first and then do what you're going to do. And then you observe and you know make changes from that and have that inform your decisions on how you're moving forward. Now, you started at a place that already had some structure and some and plants and trees and stuff. When you were looking at making choices on your space, did the shade of the tree or the location of the tree change some of your plans? Now, are we talking Phoenix property at the urban farm? No, your new property. New property, yeah. Well, definitely I've been observing the solar aspect where the sun's at. Mm -hmm. So I'm jonesing to put in my somewhat permanent garden here in the next couple of months as it warms up. And so I spent a lot of time last year observing where the sun was at and making sure that I got a good sense of which way was south and where the shade is and like that. If you're on the live chat, 
the picture behind me is my front yard. And so the curious thing about my property that's different than most everybody else's is that, um, that there's no trees near the house. So I've not had any challenges with tree shade on the house, which is nice. So that's observation. Spend a lot of time observing in your space. That's hugely important. One of the things we didn't do is define permaculture either before we jumped into the permaculture principles. The permaculture principles, there's eight or 10 or 12, depending on who you study with. The first one in just about every case is observation. And my definition is the art and science of working with nature. How do we work in the flow of nature? Prior to me doing my permaculture design course, I actually designed what we would now call a regenerative farm, a farm that recreates itself over time without having human input. And then everything in the system gets used. So I was designing food forests in the late 70s and early 80s. And then I discovered permaculture, the word and the study in 91. It was like, wow, there's something that we can call the way that I think art and science of working with nature. How do we work in the flow of nature rather than against nature? And I wrote this in 1996, our downfall as a species is that we're arrogant enough to think that we can control mother nature and stupid enough to think it's our job. So we really need to be plugging into nature and natural systems to make sure that we're in the flow. I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look and find the definition that I wrote down for permaculture because I really liked it. It was very me, but it's not something that I can easily roll off the flow of my tongue. But basically for me, permaculture is it's working with the elements that are in play and using the processes that nature has already perfected mm-hmm. to improve the space that you're in and that could be outdoor or indoor but the magic of the of the processes that have been implemented millions of times over for thousands of years that nature uses for her advantage to make these ecosystems why try to fight that (laughs) you know i i think there's so much magic that we can tap into and use in our space and it's just permaculture it's just nature it's not it's it doesn't have to be hard right and one of the things and this is a favorite quote of mine from steve jobs Mm -hmm. founder of apple remember it's the journey not the destination oh yeah right and and in many ways and really every way, permaculture is about a journey. It's about working through whatever you have and what's next and like that, so. I found it. Okay. Permaculture is a way of life that emulates, intersects, and cooperates with the perpetual regenerative systems of nature. Nice. It's got a lot of big words in it, but I like those big words. Greg teases me. He says that you use too many big words in the same sentence. But, <laughs> well, not you see, that. 
You said a word a little while ago, elements, and this is permaculture principle two from our permaculture design course. So let me just jump in that real quick. A permaculture design course or PDC is a 72 hour uh, course that you take. Sometimes people do them online. Sometimes they do them in person all at once. So over the course right. of two weeks. Two weeks live in or stay at the place where you're training. Right. Or we do them in Phoenix as over four to six weekends on Saturday, Ten days, Friday, basically. Sat- Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah. 10 days. We do it basically. And there are places out there that do it the same way. We do it for the working person. Can't yeah. take two weeks off. Yeah, exactly. So that's what a permaculture design course is. And we're currently talking about the basic principles of permaculture. Observation was the first one. Elements, you mentioned elements a little while ago. Elements was the next one. And Mm -hmm. this goes into my favorite thing to do in permaculture. And that's called stacking functions. Stacking functions, you take an element or an asset in your space space exactly it can it doesn't have to be in your yard here's an interesting thing that happened i went back to college late in life i was at arizona state university from 1999 when i was 38 till 2006 i got a bachelor's and a master's degree and i was sitting in probably 2002 or 2003 i was sitting in a transportation planning class so Um, I have an interesting collection of degrees that I got. I have three minors, one's in urban planning, one's in botany, and one's in sociology. And so I took a lot of urban planning classes. And this urban planning class was a class that uh, talked about transportation and how do we set up transportation and how does transportation work? And they talked about trip stacking. Oh, yes. Trip stacking. Trip stacking. It was very interesting. Trip stacking is when you you don't go to the grocery store and come home and then go to the doctor and come home and then go to the pet store and come home. You stack them together generally. Mm -hmm. And that's a permaculture principle. So stacking functions is a great principle to look at an asset and see how many times you can use it like a chicken. You know, the permaculture chicken is the perfect asset to talk about here because there's so many things a chicken can do. An industrial chicken, basically you get meat and eggs out of it. And if the company- sometimes one over the other. Right. And if the company's really smart, they're selling the manure off. A permaculture chicken, what we do is look at the asset called a chicken and see how many things that we can get them to do. So a permaculture chicken poops, so we get fertilizer. Uh, In our yard, we raise hens for egg layers, so we get eggs. They dig, they eat bugs, they eat weeds. They're these workers and worker bees in our yard. So basically what we've done is we've taken an asset called a chicken and plugged them in to many of the systems that we have in our yard. In fact, Don Titmus, he's one of my buddies in Phoenix and teaches the permaculture design course. He has a system set up where he has four beds 
And each season, every three months, his chicken run moves to the next bed. Mm-hmm. So his chickens are eating the bugs, eating the weeds, tilling the soil and for three months. And then they get moved to the next one and he plants the new bed with the great soil in it. So, you know, I'm going to jump ahead to the principle number four, which is the problem is the solution. Mm. I think that when I was first introduced to raising chickens, because I had chickens before, it was a problem that they kept digging into everything and they kept scratching at everything and and moving Mm -hmm. stuff around. Well, that's actually a solution in permaculture because the more they dig, the more they aerate the soil and they mix stuff in and they're pooping at the same place. Oh, wait a minute, poop, chicken poop, what a problem. Well, if you're looking at it from permaculture, it's actually a good thing. If you're like thinking about the the feathers that are blowing everywhere, well, that gets us to your compost. So the problems are the solution. If you are looking at something in a negative way, it could be overwhelming. It could bring you down. It's programming you to find problems and negativity and just maybe get stuck in something. I love by taking that concept, the problem is the solution into not just elements in your yard, but elements in your life. You start, okay, wait a minute. Um, well, life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Hello, that's the perfect thing that we're doing here. You know, right. you run into something I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got all this leftover food. What am I going to do? Well, that problem means let's have a party. I've got clothes that are no longer fit. Well, I've got a solution here. We can either turn it into extra cloth for make maybe bedding or mm-hmm. quilts or something, or you can turn it into a donation rags. or someplace. You can turn them into rags. I mean, there's so many things you can turn stuff into to change it from instead of a negative turn it into a positive, but it's in the mindset. It's changing the way you look at something. And mm-hmm. even if that just means standing up, doing a U-turn, turn around 360 degrees and look at it again. Okay, that didn't work. <laughs> you move around it and look at it from 180 degrees. Okay, did that work? No, then do it again, turn around. Just trying to look at something a little bit differently might change the problem in front of you into mm-hmm. an asset that's going to be giving some giving you something. And interestingly enough, in talking about the permaculture chicken and the elements having many functions and the problem is a solution, principle number three is work with nature. And so what we do in a lot of cases with chickens is we just let chickens be. We don't impose what we think they should be on on them, we just let them be and they're doing what nature does. And so work with nature rather than against it is a major permaculture principle. And that really adds to that concept that I learned from you when I first met you. You were, you got up in front of the class, you were my professor at ASU and you're like, I'm a lazy gardener, I'm a lazy farmer. Yep. And that concept although it's, it sounds detrimental, but it's actually quite wise because you're allowing nature to do what it does and you're not fighting it. You don't have to work so hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the concept of weeds, allowing weeds. a weed to do what it does, a weed, W-E-E-D-S, yep. allowing a weed to do what it does it's actually can be a benefit. The problem is a solution. A weed is a plant that will get started in a space that you think you don't want this weed. 
a lot of times it might it might actually be a good stuff, a good plant, but it's it's a pioneer species that mm-hmm. breaks into the soil and it'll start moving those nutrients from down low where something else can't reach it up higher where something can reach it. I, I tell people, let weeds grow in your garden. And they're like, what are you talking about? I've said this for years. And if you're letting some weeds grow in your garden, you don't want the invasives in your garden. Yeah. Mallow is one of the things that grows voraciously in Phoenix. And it's got a tap root on it that is amazing. The thing yeah. about mallow at this particular weed is if you cut it off just a half inch below the ground, it won't come back. You you cut off the, what they call the apical meristem, the growing point of it. So you cut mm-hmm. that off. Now, all of a sudden, the top part is a great treat for your chickens or your compost pile and the root in the ground. And, and a mallow can have a one inch diameter tap root on it. And you cut that off and kill it. And all of a sudden you have a root composting in your soil and building healthy soil for you. And if you have soil like mine that is so clay dense mm-hmm. and so compact, because my soil was actually literally pounded with machines to make it compact so that it was level and flat. But mm-hmm. if you have soil like that, where your ground is just like dead, having those roots go down deep and breaking it up and adding the aeration and the compost, it's perfect. Right. Principle number five, make the least change for the greatest possible effect. Lazy gardener. Right. It's also, it saves energy because if yeah. you're making a change a little at a time, you can see how that little change is going to have an effect. It will save you money and energy later trying to fix if you did too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's part of the reason I want you observing your property for at least a year so that you know what changes that you can make that will have the biggest impact. Yeah. It's disheartening. It just hurts when you have somebody that you know that went all out into this really big project and they put something big, like maybe a deck or a spa or a pool or this big tree or a gazebo or whatever the big element is. They went and they put this big element right where they think it needs to go. And then they realized, no, actually that's not yep. where I really need it. I wished it was four feet to the right or over there in the other corner or not next to this big tree but they've already put so much energy and time and effort and money mm-hmm. into something and it doesn't work. It would be better if you just made a least change for the greatest possible effect and observe how it worked. Right. Well, and there's the other piece of that too. The people across the street from me in Phoenix oh, had a yes. Western facing front of their house and the house sold about 15 years ago and the new owners immediately came in and cut down all the trees in the front yard. West facing gets sun from noon until sundown. What they didn't realize was that they were taking away all their shade. Their afternoon shade that was protecting the front of their house and allowing their house to just be a really beautiful front entry. Now they had to retreat to the back part of their house where it was cooler because the front part of their house was way too hot. Yeah. 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 And uh, the next one. Like this the one. yield of a system is potentially unlimited. 
I have said for years that the only place that lack lives is between our ears. Yeah. Because when I look at the abundance, the amazing abundance of natural systems and fruit trees, one of my favorite things to do is plant fruit trees. In fact, I have somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 fruit trees coming in in the next two to four weeks. And I have to, they're going to get potted in pots for starters, and then I'll get them planted out over the course of the next three or four months because most of them are bare root. Uh, but the reason I like planting fruit trees is because they're so abundant. You know, I had that apple tree in the backyard at the urban farm in Phoenix. I let it get it taller. It was maybe 18, 20 feet tall. I let it get it taller than a backyard orchard culture tree, but I'd get 300 pounds of apples off of that tree every year. And I dehydrated most of them. I love dehydrated apples, but if you set up your system right, and I, what I had at the urban farm and what you're jonesing toward, Janice, is what we call an old growth food forest. Mm -hmm. It's a food forest that just manages itself year after year after year, just like a forest does. If you are looking at, if you're live on the chat tonight, you can see this. What you see behind me is an early spring picture of my backyard. And there are just trees all across this section and some grapes. Every spring when the leaf turnout happens on this, it is such an exciting place to be. And I have five, six grapevines going right now. Nice. I have way more grapes than I can handle uh, because it was I... just beautiful. And but the best part about that was I took the grapes that I could use. I took some grapes to share and then the birds had the rest and we were there all happy. There you go. The web effect, everything has an impact on its environment. Talk to me about that. <laughs> I am teased sometimes by my friends how I end up thinking about all different things in a different direction. And it's like this big web and I'm constantly looking at all these different directions. Mm -hmm. So the web effect concept of permaculture is one that I just really relate to. So if you imagine a kind of a wacky spider web where you have these strings going across in all different directions and they're all interconnected amongst each other, that is a lot like what happens in nature everywhere. Because when you're looking at one little aspect of an element, it's going to have threads of a sort to other things that are nearby, they're all mm -hmm. gonna be connected. So if like with my yard, I'm talking about the grapes, well, the grapes are shading the peach and the peach is feeding the ground and the ground is, is growing this really great mulch and the mulch is protecting the roots and you just keep going and everything is doing something that's connecting to something else. But if you really look, everything is connected to everything else around it with mm -hmm. a, some sort of string, some sort of energy connection. Mm -hmm. And I love it. And it's even more so in the more natural a space you have. Right now, our yards are very cultivated. Even a permaculture yard is somewhat cultivated. Mm -hmm. But if you went out into nature, that web effect is even more in effect. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And then number eight, these are Dawn's eight 
permaculture principles. Number eight is information and imagination intensive, set no limits. If you walk into a project, a design project, something small for your yard or something big for maybe a redo, and if you start with this idea that anything can happen in this space, just start laying out every possible thing that you might want to put in this space. And then keep adding any possible thing that you want in that space. And think about if it needs to be super cultured, like a pool and a spa and a jacuzzi and, a, and just keep adding everything, right? Or a fish pond and a waterfall and 70 trees and all these bushes and this, and this pathway that has to be this way and that way. Just keep adding everything that you can possibly think on this list. I need a seating area over here and I want a shaded area over here and I need a place where I want to shower over here and I need a place for my yoga space, yoga studio over here. Add it, add it, add it. Sit and brainstorm and add it. And the more you think about it, the more you'll trigger other things. Don't set limits on your initial ideas because as the more you look at it, you're going to start finding things. And like, you know what? I didn't think about that, but that would really be a lot better than this other choice I had over here. And you can start picking mm -hmm. and choosing what you really want. Amen to that. Awesome. So, and... Yeah. And don't do it alone. Right. It's always great. When I did my first permaculture design course in 1991, I did it with my wife at the time. We did it yeah. together. If you can do it with your partner, it's, it, that's huge. And even then, if you can sit down with a group of people mm -hmm. and everyone is working together, you get three, four, five, six people working on the same conceptual brain download about what could possibly be in this area, they are going to think of stuff that you don't think of. They're going to see things from a perspective that you just don't have an experience that like they might've thought of something or seen something somewhere else. And they're like, you know what? I think in that corner would be a really great place for a little forest with a little uh, bistro and, and have a little shower in the corner. Whatever the concept is, mm -hmm. ideas come and they're shared and they're built upon each other. And by allowing yourself to get intensive with your imagination and just throwing it all out there and see what sticks and what creates and what grows. Sorry, I get a little passionate on that one, don't I? Yeah, thank <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So the eight basic principles of permaculture, like I said, depending on who the teacher is, there's eight to 12 of them. They kind of all fit, fit in together. This is the eight principles that the Phoenix Permaculture Design Course uses. Right. Observation. Elements must have many functions. Work with nature rather than against nature. The problem is the solution. Think outside or beyond the box. Make the least change for the greatest possible effort. The yield of the system is potentially unlimited. The web effect, everything has an impact and information and in imagination, intensive thinking, set no limits, just brainstorm your way to uh, your food for us. So thank you so much for joining us, Janice, and bringing this great information. And the data, I'm really, I have to say, I'm really impressed with, we've known each other, what now, six, seven years? 
I think it's closer to seven or eight now. And when we met, you basically knew nothing about this. And seeing how you've transformed your yard and your life with permaculture is magical. So good job. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I took your class as a last minute villain. Oh my gosh. I took your class because I needed a, an elective to fill in, to meet everything wow. else that I did. And you were one of the professors that had probably, well, the professor that had the biggest impact on my life. So wow. thank you. And mm -hmm. I really appreciate what I've learned. Awesome. And thank you everybody for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. And we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye everybody. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.